Welcome to Bold Faith with Courage Molina, a place where you get empowered and equipped to be who God has called you to be, do what God has called you to do, and go after everything he said you can have without hesitation or apology. Let's go. All right, let's get into this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Bold Faith Community Church. I am your pastor, Courage Molina. I'm so excited that you are here joining us for this virtual church service. Bold Faith Community Church, we are a virtual church and our, our mission really is to introduce people to Christ and equip them in the word of God. We want you to be equipped in the word of God so that you can apply his wisdom to every area of your life in and out of season, no matter what season of life that you're in, because that truly leads to our lives being transformed by Christ, right? We have to apply the word of God. Now, listen, I don't know where you are tuning in from, but be sure to drop it in the chat. Wherever you are tuning in from, drop it in the chat, okay? Because I want to know where y'all at. Where are you? I like to do a lot of traveling. Maybe I'm going to come and visit. Maybe not. I might. You don't know. Listen, our podcast, I'm so glad I said that. Let me give a shout out. I forgot I need to do a shout out. Shout out to Australia. What's up, Australia? We see y'all. Or at the very least, y'all see us. It is so, such a blessing, specifically through the podcast. Australia is our number one streaming country. 59% of our listeners that are listening through Spotify come from Australia. Can y'all believe that? And I've never been to Australia. So what's up, Australia? How y'all doing? Thank you so much for the love, for being a part of what God is doing in and through uh, Bold Faith Community Church. We would love for everyone to get connected. I'm not just talking to the people in Australia, talking to everybody. We would love for y'all to get connected. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Um, when you guys share this video, it helps other people find us so that they can subscribe. I also want to talk about the importance of being a part of our community. Um, if you have not been added to the church's email list, then you are missing out. Australia, y'all need to get on this email list. Go to boldfaithchurch.org, boldfaithchurch.org, and click on the little button that says join so that you can get involved here because we have prayer meetings. We have a prayer meeting before church at 7.30. We were just a part of an amazing experience with another ministry. She pursues purpose in her prayer line, and we were a part of that. So we had a great, amazing night of prayer on Thursday night. If you missed it, I'm trying to tell you something. Guess what? You missed it. You missed something. You didn't just miss a look like you. If you missed it, you missed it. Y'all be praying that, you know, the Lord would lead her to do another one. We're having a meetup here locally in Charlotte, North Carolina today on December. Today's December 2nd. On December 2nd, we're going to be meeting at the Collective Cafe over in Matthews. If you're on the email list, then you are informed about all of these things. We had a meetup in Kannapolis. If you're on the email list, then you know about these things. We had one in Atlanta. So you want to get connected. You don't want to miss things. So go to boldfaithchurch.org. Again, thank you to all of you who are tuning in here, joining us. Um, it is We don't take it lightly that God is using this church 
to take his word across oceans into countries and places we've never been. Some of the people who are viewing um, our videos are in places I never even heard of. But the Lord is taking this out to the ends of the earth. And so we are so grateful to be used by God in that way. Yes, I know it's so exciting. I'm like, wait, what? Let us find out Bold Faith Community Church going to set up a church in Australia. They out there showing us big love. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, listen, uh, we have been studying. Oh, wait, before I tell you, I'm ready to get into it today. I feel like I have a lot to say. Um, before we get into it, how can you become a member of this church? What does it mean to be a member of a virtual church? It means that you attend. Um, it means that you engage, you are part of the community. So you're not just coming to church, but you are part of the church. Our community has now moved to YouTube. So you can be a part of the community right where you're watching it. Go over to the community tab and save us up. Let us know what your prayer requests are. As always, you can send the prayer requests via email, but you can let us know what your prayer requests are right there in our community tab and our community will be praying for you and reaching out to you. So be sure to do that. That's one of the ways that like, okay, this is my home. Well, I come home every week when it's time for church. I'm here, right? So that's one thing. Being a part of it. Serving is another. Maybe you want to be a part of that prayer team praying for people. Or maybe you want to be a part of some other team. You want to use your skills and gifts in another way. You can do that, too. If you go to boldfaithchurch.org, you can click on that link to say join. And, of course, if this is your home, if you eat here, you sow here, you are giving your tithes and your offerings here, you are giving your gifts you are expressing your generosity by sowing a seed into this church specifically. And you can also do that at boldfaithchurch.org. You can do that at boldfaithchurch.org. Set up recurring giving. Okay, now I think. I hope that y'all have done all the things. Now it's time for us to get into this word. I'm going to pray first. I pray all the time before it's time for me to speak. I'm going to pray again right now because... Um, there's so much, and I just want to make sure that um, I don't geek out, that I only give y'all what the Lord intends for y'all to have. When I say geek out, like give y'all more than y'all need, you know? Because um, I am geeked out about Romans. Romans has had me geeked out about studying and being in the Word of God. I've been hanging out with the Lord like, what? This is so good. But what? This is so good. And that's great. But I also don't want it to be like a water hose experience, right? Where it's like a fire hydrant. That's what they call it. A fire hydrant experience where it's just too much. So let's, let's pray. Oh, Lord. You know that there is so much excitement and so much just greatness found and so much wisdom found in your word, God. Help me today to speak the message that you have for your people right now. Remove any ideas that I might have about how it should be done, what needs to be said, what needs to be heard, what I want to share from really a heart of excitement for your word, um, but not to the detriment of your people. So help me God to stay focused on what you have to say. Remove me, remove distractions from their homes today, oh God, so that they could hear, receive, accept, take hold of this word from you. In your son Jesus name I pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in the book of Romans, and we haven't gotten very far. We're still in chapter one. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 32. So we're going to be in Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 32. It is our custom to read the entire, to read all of the verses together. 
So you can go ahead and get your Bibles out if you don't have them. Make a little note of it. Um, it's great for you to read along in any version that you like. I will be reading in the ESV. Have this little, it's just, it's one book of the Bible, which I love. I just found, I never even knew this was a thing. It's a Bible journal. I don't know if you can see that. It's so great. So it's just the book of Romans here. And it is the ESV version that I'll be reading. Um, so y'all can get that so we can read together. Let me give you this background. So Romans, it's the book of Romans. This is an epistle of Paul. I'm not going to go through everything, but it's an epistle of Paul. It's a letter written to the church in Rome while Paul is in Corinth. He's writing to the church in Rome. The Roman church is comprised of Jewish converts to Christianity and non-Jewish Christians. So Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to encourage them to give them some sound doctrine. Um, this is seen, the book of Romans is really seen as like the constitution of the faith. He is putting the gospel kind of on trial here and um, bringing out the, all of the things, right, is what we'll see throughout Romans. And so in chapter one, he starts out with his intro. He introduces himself, makes it clear why he is writing to them and why he hasn't come to see them. Um, that lets them know that he's been wanting to come and see them. He's been longing to go to Rome and that um, there would be benefit for them when he comes and benefit for himself. And he goes on to say that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power to save. And, and so he's telling them, you know, that we live from faith to faith, right? And so now in verse 18, we get into the wrath of God or the unrighteousness of mankind. Um, th th let's just take a step back before we even read, actually. I want you to understand that in this section, section this, this section of scripture, when we are looking at um, verses 18 through 32, he is referring to Paul, is referring to mankind prior to the covenant that God had with Abram, who turned into Abraham, right? This is prior to that, what he's describing. So we're getting ready to read, and if, you are, if you've been with us and you know that you've been reading, we've been reading chapter one over and over for weeks now. So you know the section I'm about to get into where he's talking about all these things. The people he's describing, he's describing the state of mankind before the covenant. And this is so, like, Paul is so strategic and it is so good because keep in mind that this is a letter to the church in Rome. And this entire letter is about the gospel of God. The gospel of God reveals the righteousness of God, the goodness of God. But in order for any of that to matter, we have to start with an understanding that without the gospel, outside of God's grace, we are completely lost. Okay? So Paul is describing what people were like before God went into covenant with Abraham. Right? What he was like before God went into covenant went into this covenant relationship, chose Israel to be his people, right? In order to reveal God's righteousness, because we all stand under God's judgment, we have to show that without the grace of God, we will be condemned. That there is no hope. That we are helpless. 
There isn't anything that can be done outside of God. And so he's going to he's describing here in this section. He's going to be talking about what things were like prior to the covenant with Abraham. All right. So now y'all got that. So let's let's get into the reading. I want you to have that in mind as I'm reading it. Um, Chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. To who? To all the people before this covenant with Abraham. Right. Just keep that in mind for what we for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason... God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Amen. That is, that's a lot. The first thing I think about is I see this, you know, um, that that he starts off talking about the wrath of God. That's where he starts. Uh, Paul starts off talking about, the wrath of God. This is such an important teaching. I'm going to go ahead before I even get into the breaking it down. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to skip to the end right now. I know we're, I know we just got started, but I'm going to skip to the end right now. Make sure you flip to the end um, and tell you what it is that you need to understand today. Okay. What God is revealing to us. This is so good. I want you to have this in your mind as we go through. You are not so far from this. You're not as far as you think from this. We aren't that far from it. I'm going to read this far from what pastor. We, I there's this wall that goes up when you read and it feels like, Oh, this does not apply to me. 
They are, um, they were filled, verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. When we read that, we think, oh, this does not apply to me. And so then it makes it difficult for us to see how God might want us to apply this to our own lives, because certainly I'm not envious. I'm not murderous. I'm, I don't have this strife and deceit. There's no maliciousness in me. I'm not that way. I'm not full of envy, full of, didn't say they have envy, full of envy. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy. Not I'm a little, no, full of it. I'm certainly not full of any, any envy. You feel the same way. You're not full of murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. You are not gossips. You're not slanderers, haters of God. You don't hate God. You're in church on a Saturday. Come on now. You're not insolent. You're not haughty. You're not boastful. You are not an inventor of evil. You are not disobedient to your parents. Maybe you were, but you've overcome that right you're not foolish you're not faithless you're not heartless you're not ruthless what is i might be able to just skip this and go right on to the goodness of god that's the next part god's righteous um judgment what happens to those people because that's not me but god is saying paul is showing come on jesus paul is showing we're not that far from this you aren't as far from that as you think. And Paul's going to show us. He starts with the wrath of God. He describes it as being revealed. It is an ongoing thing. It is God's wrath is continually being revealed in Paul's day right then too. And in our day continually being revealed. Um, and it is directed God's wrath is directed at ungodliness, which is a lack of um, proper reverence. Ungodliness is a, is a lack of proper reverence, an appropriate amount of reverence, the right reverence, reverence, I speak English, to God. Um, his wrath is also directed at unrighteousness which is the wickedness of mankind. Pay attention that this is not against the sinner. This is vitally important. That God's wrath is not directed against the sinner. This is why context and right interpretation matters. Because when we don't understand that God's wrath is against unrighteousness it's directed at ungodliness and not to the person we feel justified in the grudges that we hold we feel justified in the way that we treat each other because we feel like okay i'm a christian but i'm the lord the no the lord is ain't holding no grudges you need to recognize that the wrath of god is being is being directed at ungodliness this is what paul is telling them it's being directed at ungodliness and unrighteousness, not against the sinner. Because God hates sin, 
but loves the center. Now we kind of say that with the t-shirt and with a, you know, bumper sticker, but we don't often live that out in our lives. It's why we hold grudges. God doesn't hold a grudge. How do I know this? Because when we hold grudges, the reason that we do is because we hold it against the person. It's not just, it's not their behavior. It's them. It's not just what they said. It's the person. So even if they stop doing and or saying what they did, we still hold this anger, this ought against them. That's why we call it holding a grudge. It's not called holding a grudge if somebody is still doing it to you. It's called holding a grudge because it happened 15 years ago and you won't let it go. It's called holding a grudge because they apologized about it 15, 20 times, but you're still holding on to it. That's why it's called a grudge. And it's because you are showing your anger against the person and not against what they did. So when that person comes around, you are reminded of their act because the act is attached to their personhood. But isn't it good, somebody? Don't you love that the Lord is not like that? He is not holding your sinfulness, your ungodfulness, ungodliness against you, the person. He is holding wrath. He directs his wrath against what you've done, not against you. What's the difference? The difference is that when we come to God with a contrite heart and we repent and we turn away from our sinful ways, he remembers that thing that we've done no more. He is readily, he is ready and available. He is leaning into accepting us back into the fold. So no matter how great the wrath is, no matter what the consequences are, no matter how we feel it, it's not against us. God is not holding something against you. God is not keeping a grudge against you. If you are turning away from that sinful behavior, if you're turning away from the th from ungodliness and unrighteousness, you're turning away from it. God is going to forget that. He's done with it. Why? Because his wrath, his anger and discipline is toward the sin and not you. He loves you and he wants to see all of us redeemed to him. He wants to redeem all of us back to himself. He loves you no matter what it is you have done. He hates what you've done, but he doesn't hate you. It's so important that we get that. God does not hold grudges. So this wrath, because I'm going to talk about some wrath, and it will, if you don't understand the text, paint God in a way that is not true to his character. It's difficult to trust a God that you misunderstand. It's difficult to trust a God that you find untrustworthy because of an inability to rightly interpret the word of God. So it's so important that y'all get that part. So Paul's talking about the wrath of God. He starts out revealing the wrath of God to them and, and that it's being revealed to them through all these things that are happening. Um, it's directed at ungodliness. It's directed at unrighteousness. Caveat, not against the sinner. Because God created us and we all stand in, in under his judgment, right? We all are under God's judgment. You don't have to believe in God. You can think whatever you want to think. We are all under the judgment of God, okay? And so because God is just, a lot of times you'll see people where it's just, okay, God is good. God is good. And because he's good, he's just. So God is good and just. 
and stands in judgment of all mankind, which means if there's going to be condemnation, if there's going to be wrath and discipline, if there's going to be punishment, then it is justified. And so Paul goes on to show the justification for, for God's condemnation. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It's being, it's being against the unrighteousness of men, not to the man, but of the man who by their unrighteousness, here we go, there's that comma, who by their unrighteousness, their wickedness, what do they do? The first thing, the first justification that Paul shows for God's condemnation is suppressing God's truth. And I know we like to say my truth, your truth, but this is only true when it refers to God, God's truth. That's really the only time that you can say this is a truth that is possessed by somebody, right? It's not my truth, your truth. It's the truth when talking about us. But when talking about God, it truly is God's truth because God is the truth, right? Suppressing the, the suppressing, this is the suppressing of God's truth. When you think about that word suppressing, um, think of like suppressing evidence. Let's go back to this legal analogy, which we probably will use throughout the book of Romans. We'll probably have a lot of illustrations that are, that are based on legal uh, situations, based on the law, right? So think of it from a legal way, uh, suppressing. When you suppress the truth, you're suppressing evidence. What does that mean? It means that you know it. So before we get into a place where like, oh my gosh, but what about it? They didn't know it. No, I can't suppress what I don't know. I can't suppress what I don't have in my mind, right? Suppressing means there is something that is known that is the truth. There's evidence. I know the DNA. I got a camera. I got security footage. I got a witness. I have a confession. I got the smoking gun, something. So to suppress the truth is to hide it, to hold it back, to hold it down. That is the first justification that Paul gives for God's condemnation towards this unrighteousness. They knew the truth and they lacked reverence for God. So then... I guess, what is the truth? The truth is that God is the sovereign God, that he is the only deity, that there are no other gods but God. They knew that before God's covenant with Abraham. And they suppressed that truth. They held that truth back. They kept that truth. They, di they didn't give God the honor that was due to the creator of all things. And when that happens, it leads to when you don't have reverence for God, it leads to the mistreatment of God's people. Because if I don't if I don't have any respect and reverence for the creator, then certainly I'm not going to have any respect for what he created. These people were created in the image of God. That don't matter to me because I don't have no respect for God himself. They knew it, but they refused to acknowledge it. Then that begs the question, Paul is so good the way he moves through his explanation, his reasoning, the way he unveils this thing. Because the, the very next natural question that somebody might ask is, well, how did they know? 
Because if you're saying they absolutely knew and that's why they're in trouble, well, how do they know? Paul goes on to explain, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. He's not saying somebody told them. He's not saying there was a revival. He's not saying any of that. He said, because what is, what is, because for what, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. It's plain. How could they suppress the truth about God that they should reverence him? And this led to all kinds of things. But how did they know about God? Well, because it was plain to them. Because God showed it to him, which brings us to the next reason for their condemnation. It's ignoring God's revelation about the knowledge of God. So not only are you suppressing the truth, you're suppressing the truth requires that you ignore what has been revealed. And what has been revealed about God is available to everybody, Paul is saying. Paul is saying the word plain, it is easy to see. It is easy to perceive. And he's talking about a natural revelation. He's not talking about Christ, because I know that's where somebody's going. He's not talking about Christ. He's not talking about revealing the glory of God, righteousness of God through the gospel. He's saying they might not have known all the things. Right, because they had not yet known Christ, Christ had not yet been revealed. This is not relating to the knowledge of Christ, but this is about the knowledge of God. Maybe they didn't know who Christ was, but they knew who God was because He made it plain. There's a natural revelation of God. Look out your window, look in the mirror. That reveals God, even in our limited understanding. Even in our limited ability, what we know about his existence, even if, it, if, even if it's just going to start with us, right, which is a horrible place to start. But let's just say it's going to start with us. Okay, I get it. You know, God, God's spirit. And so his qualities may be unseen. They may be, let me not say unseen. They may be invisible to the physical eye. I'm not talking about things that are revealed by the Holy Spirit. Come, stay with me. I want y'all to stay with me because sometimes we'll skip to the next part, but I want y'all to stay with me in this. Paul is saying they knew who God was because he made it plain to them. Not that it was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit because we know they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Not because it was revealed to them through Christ because Christ had not yet come to save humanity yet, right? He had not come to earth. The Messiah had not come. This is before Paul is describing what mankind was like before God entered into covenant with Abraham. So we're talking about a natural revelation that God was revealed to them, his character, his invisible unseen qualities, qualities that cannot be seen by the physical eye and may not be understood because I don't have the spirit of God is still made plain because what we can see and what was made. Does that make sense? God's qualities are reflected in what has been made in his creative work. God's done a creative work. Look outside your window. That right there reveals some of his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. And because God is self, God is self-evident. 
He is self-existent. It means he exists even if you don't acknowledge his existence. He exists even if you don't exist. Even if you never existed, God existed. God is self-existent. He is the creator of all things. So since the beginning of creation, his invisible qualities have been clearly seen. And this is a continuous nature. It wasn't just that back then before Paul's time when Paul is referring to. It's not just back then at Paul's time, which we're reading, but it is right now, present day, December 2nd, 2023. The invisible qualities of God are being continuously revealed in us, through us, and can be seen right outside our window, right outside our door. And because it's so plain to see, it's inexcusable. Paul is saying, this is why y'all ain't got no excuse. There ain't no excuse for what was going on with men and women before God came into covenant with Abraham. Absolutely no reason for it. Why? Because God made himself made his character, his qualities. He revealed himself. He was already revealed through everything they could see. The witness to God in nature. The, do you understand? Paul is saying the trees, the stars, the leaves, the animals, the creatures, the water, the fish. They all bear witness. They're all a witness to God. And it is so clear and it is so constant that ignoring God's existence when you are walking around out here in this world, it has no defense. It is indefensible. Ain't nothing. You ain't no reason for nobody living to say they doubt that God exists and that he is the creator of all. Paul is saying, miss us with that. You can miss me with that is what Paul is saying. Inexcusable. Verse 21. No, I'm sorry, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So let me just go back. There is condemnation and there is justification for God's condemnation and wrath against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness. And Paul is breaking this down for us. He's showing us that he shows us three justifications for God's condemnation, suppressing God's truth. Right. Acting like it ain't true, which begs the question, did I know it was true? Then Paul says, ignoring God's revelation of the truth. That's the second reason. It's available to all. It's easy. It's plain to see. Been there since the beginning of time. There's no excuse. That's God's second reason for second justification for condemnation. And then the third justification for condemnation is the perverting of God's glory. So they knew him. Think back to Adam and Eve. Y'all remember that Genesis? So God created them and they was walking in the walking in the garden with God and they God walked with Adam. What's up? How you doing? They were people, you know what I'm saying? Him and God, God and Adam, they was like, what's up? How you doing? And God was with them after the fall of mankind. 
So they knew him, not they knew of him, heard about him. They experienced God from the time of Adam and Eve. I'm going to just take a little break right here real quick. It just, it brings me into this, this mindset, understanding this. This is why it's so important to take consideration, uh, take into consideration the timeline and the time frame, because sometimes we read the Bible and we study different sections and different chapters of the Bible as if they are worlds apart. They're not worlds apart. This is a continuous uh, thing that goes on. And so when we see that God comes into Abraham, God makes his covenant with Abraham. I think it causes us to like forget that God was always with mankind from the beginning, that he was the one walking with Adam. He said, Adam, where you at? He was with Adam. So they had an experience with God. They were they were having conversations and, and, and they were in close relationship with God before the fall. And after sin, they were still in close conversation with God. They were still in community and connection to God. They were still experiencing God. How do we know that? Because in the beginning, when Adam and Eve and then it was Cain and Abel and then um, Cain killed Abel and then they got pregnant again and had Seth. And she said, God has given. So that means that God was there. She acknowledged God. God has given me Seth to replace Abel. So they knew God. They're just no, they didn't stop knowing him. He didn't stop being God from Adam to um, Abraham. Okay. So they had experienced him. At some point, though, there was this, there was this knowledge, this knowledge that they had was perverted and it led them to idolatry. So what Paul is describing here is this willful rebellion. It is willful because knowing God, they turned away from the very thing they were created to do, right? Knowing God, having actual experience with God, they turned away from his voice. They turned away from glorifying him. They turned away from giving thanks to him. And instead that, and as a result of that, it led to worthless thinking which leads to perverse acts and darkened hearts. This is what happens when you reject the truth over and over and over again, over time, it starts to um, dull, dull your ability, impair your ability to recognize the truth and to receive the truth. So as they are denying and rejecting the truth over and over again, it made it more difficult for them to recognize the truth and it made it impossible for them to receive the truth. And so as a result, in their wisdom, because they're so smart, they're smarter than God, they started to honor man-made um, gods created to look like humans, created by humans to look like humans and look like animals instead of the God who created all of it. One of the arguments, this is so important for you to understand because God has called us to uh, to go out and sh share the gospel, right? And so it's so important that you understand this. One of the arguments that those, uh, that a lot of people have, a, a lot of people, one of the arguments that they have about Christianity is that there are so many religions that predate Christ that people were 
and these had these other belief systems, especially a lot of times in the African-American community. They talk about the religion of our ancestors and the religion of our culture and things like that. We kind of go back to that. People want to take you back to that and say, see, this is new. This has just been made up. This Christianity is not that old. This is so great, so vital for you to understand because Paul's not saying that there weren't other religions before Christ got on the scene, but there was nothing on the scene before God. We, we can, you can stand right there on that. There was nothing. There was, there is no religion, no belief system, no way of living that predates the creator of all things. And so even outside and before Jesus came on the scene, before Christ and Christianity was made, made known to mankind, there was a God in heaven who created all things and is deserving of all of our praise and thanks. He deserves to be glorified. So when our ancient ancestors and ancient civilizations began to bow down to animals and to gods that look like animals and look like people and look like the things that God created, that was sin. That is the thing that put them on the outside. There ain't nothing that predates the God who created all things. So we don't need to stand up. This is why it's important to know your word. You don't need to be arguing and going back and forth about the fact that there are religions that predate Christ coming on the scene. Okay, cool. So you telling me it's wise thinking to worship man? It's that walked this earth that died and ain't never been heard of again. You telling me it's wise thinking to worship lizards and birds and cows and things that were created by God that that did not create themselves, that don't even direct themselves, did not give themselves form, could not take on another form. The results. <laughs> The, what happens with this willful rebellion, it leads to worthless thinking. That's worthless thinking. When we bow and dial to the golden camel, it's worthless thinking. When you become your own God, that is what leads to idolatry. A refusal to acknowledge God leads to worthless thinking. It makes us morally insensitive. That's why it's like, oh, you know, live and let live or, you know, that's their choice. That's it. We're not bothered by sinful things. We're not bothered by sin. When we refuse to acknowledge God, it makes it easy for us to accept things that are morally corrupt and morally wrong. And yes, there's a right and wrong. And it's not relative to what you think and how you feel. What's right and wrong is set in stone by God. But when you refuse to acknowledge God, it leads you to worthlessly thinking that you know better than him. It causes us to be morally insensitive and ultimately leads to religious stupidity. Worshiping idols, idolatry. And so Paul is saying, so they were deserving of condemnation. Case closed. 
God is justified in how he decided to deal with those he created. That's it. What's the results of condemnation? Wrath of abandonment is what we see that Paul is giving an example of here. When you think about worthless thinking, there are natural consequences to not living out God's truth, right? Like, you know, we're not supposed to have sex before marriage. God doesn't have to do anything to you, but there are natural consequences to having sex before marriage. It leads to uh, brokenness. It leads to emotional hurt. You could be pregnant. There's disease. Um, it often leads to abandonment of relationship and abandonment of affection, right? And that broke it. So there are natural consequences. There are natural consequences to lie and murder, like, Natural, the Lord doesn't have to do anything on natural consequences. This ain't that though. God takes it a step further with the wrath of abandonment and he acted to abandon them to the expressions of the life that they were choosing. Right? Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God gave them up. This is the wrath of abandonment. He said, that's what y'all want to do? Have at it. Um, he, he acted to abandon. He didn't just say, I'm going to allow you to have the, the, the consequences. I'm going to pull back so much that I'm going to let your mind be as worthless as it is without my intervention. I'm um, I'm not going to just allow you to experience the consequences. I'm going to pull some. That's what y'all, y'all want those worthless gods? See what they can do for you. I'm going to pull away back. This is the wrath of abandonment. All right. God acted in a, God took his hand away. That's what it means. Gave them up. That's where they wanted to go. So he gave them up. It, it was the they were abandoned too. So if, if I abandon you, he abandoned them to fornication. They were having sex outside of marriages. They were doing wife swaps. They were having orgies. They were doing all kinds of crazy things. They were also self-serving. They were serving themselves and not God, right? Doing whatever they wanted to do, however they felt to do. And the Lord abandoned them over to that. He abandoned them over to sexual perversion, women having sex with women. This is where we can stand on homosexuality is a sin. He That it is a perversion of what God intended because it says that he abandoned them over to, to sexual perversion. It says that um, they exchange natural relations. Uh, verse 26, for, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. These passions, which may be your true passion, you may feel that passion, are nonetheless dishonorable. And it's not because I said that, it's because God said that. And I'm not going to suppress the truth about God and that is that God is sovereign and God is has eternal power and he is the creator. So he decides what happens, what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what is up, what is down. He decides, not me, not you, not culture. So that's why I can say that these passions are dishonorable because that's what God said. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
contrary to nature, he talks about it being revealed to them through nature, nature for mankind. I don't want to hear about animals. People will say, what about whales? What about this? They're gay whales. Cool. Fine. He's not talking about whales, though. Right? And, and, and I'm not even going to get into that. He ain't talking about whales. He's talking about men and women. And he's saying this is contrary to nature because life would cease to exist if women only had sex with women and men only had sex with men. Life would cease to exist. Nature, it goes against the laws of nature and God created nature and therefore they are his laws. And then, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their sin. So he gave them up to this depraved lifestyle. They put God out of their mind. And without, with a mind that's empty of God is full of something. And that's what Paul goes on to show us in verses 29, right? Of a mind that is empty of God. I done pushed God out of my mind. I suppressed the truth. God is like, whatever, I'm going to let you have what you want. A mind that is empty of God fills with something. It is filled with active sin. It is filled with all manner. God gave them up to a debased mind, a mind that was worthless, a mind that was so impure, a mind that did not have God inside of it. A mind that did not acknowledge God at all. God gave them over to a mind that did not acknowledge him. Let him have it. And a mind that is empty of knowledge of God, acknowledging God. Paul says, verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, filled with evil, filled with covetedness, filled with malice. They themselves, right? It expressed itself in a lifestyle because once their minds were filled with this, right? Once their minds were filled with this, then their lives were filled with envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. And then they became right, all of these things, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, all of these things. This leaving and running away from God and God allowing us to our own devices as mankind, um, it's this is expressed in a lifestyle, ongoing lifestyle, as people continue to do things in open defiance of God. And to add insult to injury, Paul says, knowing these people, right? Because I know it's all the, oh, they don't know. What if they don't know? These people, because of how God revealed himself to them, knowing that these things are deserving of death, they continue to do them and encourage people in the same lifestyle. So Paul is saying this fully warrants God's wrath. It takes me back to where I started. What does this mean for us? Because certainly, Pastor, you're not saying that I am living in willful rebellion and that I've, I've been abandoned to fornication, abandoned to say I'm not doing none of those things. I'm in church. I'm doing all the right things. What is God revealing to us today that we aren't that far from it? I know you think you are because you're in church, but we're not that far from it. It's not as far as we think. We're not as far away from that being us as we think.
because it does not start with depraved behavior. It didn't start there. It starts with suppressing the truth. That's the danger in compromising the word of God. That's the danger of being soft about what the word of God says, because the moment that we begin to suppress the truth, the enemy gets his hook in us, and this is where it leads. It doesn't start down here in this dark-hearted road. It doesn't start down here with this worthless thinking. It doesn't start down here with this idolatry. It doesn't start here. It starts by suppressing, minimum, minim, minimizing, making light of, making small, shrinking the truth. What God is saying is true. Not just what he said in his word, not just what he said to you that one time, what God is saying right now today, that he is God, that his ways are higher than our ways, that we should not lead to our own understanding, that we should first seek the kingdom of God, that truth, God is speaking to us right now. And when you suppress the truth, that instead of seeking God first, I need to seek after this this bag, I need to go after my gift and I need to make that my focus. I need to invest in understanding that instead of suppressing the truth about God, right? Because we do that. We will do that. We're not that far from it. And so, listen, we are not so far from this depravity that we're reading about. And it feels like, oh my gosh, that could never be me. That could never be. But when we suppress what God is saying right now as the truth, that's what leads to worthless thinking. That's what leads to ignoring a revelation. That, that, that's what we're doing. Oh, that's so good. Okay, God. Okay, God. Okay, God. I got to close, y'all. I got to close. Listen, this is what God is saying. When he reveals something that's true to you right now, when he reveals the truth uh, that you need to be fasting, that you need some quiet time, that you need to be giving, tithing, that you need to be serving, um, that you need to be studying your word, that you need to study to show yourself approved, that you need to rightly interpret. When God gives you those revelations through sermons, through your time in the word, through a song, he speaks to you, there's a confirmation. When God reveals that truth to you and you ignore it, when he reveals the truth of who you are and you ignore it and you continue to act like you are not, you've not been called and like you don't have anointing and like you don't have a community that you've been called to serve, that right there is ignoring God's revelation. He's revealing things to you even now. Even now, God, bring it to their mind. Even right now, in this moment, there are things that God has revealed to you about relationships. There are things that God has revealed to you about your own mindset. There are things that God has revealed to you about how you spend your time. There are things that God has revealed to you about where to invest your money. There are things that God has revealed to you about how to start a business, what business to start, about the book that you're supposed to write, about the ministry you're supposed to start. There are things that God has revealed to you and you are ignoring God's revelation. 
That puts you right on track. That puts you right on track for perverting God's glory. When I seek my own way first and I make it big, I pervert the glory of God because I can give credit to myself. I can give credit to my coach. I can give credit to the Facebook ads, the branding, to the marketing. I can give credit to all those things and deny God the glory that is his. Mm. Willful rebellion. We're not that far from it. We're not as far removed as we think. And God is revealing himself to you in an ongoing way through nature, through his word, and through experiences with you. That leads us to without grace because we're so close to it. This is why you got to know we're not that far from it. Okay? We are kept from it by God's grace. Without his grace and presence, we would live lives worthy of condemnation. What am I encouraging you to do? Seek the kingdom of God ongoing. Live in gratitude and giving glory to God ongoing and live like his word about everything is the truth because it is. I um, you may be thinking right now, like, OK, that sounds good, but I don't really know God like that or, um, you know, I kind of knew it or I thought I knew it, but maybe not. I haven't actually accepted Christ. I need to do a teaching on that. Accept it. I have not decided to acknowledge God. I have not decided to acknowledge Christ as the savior of my life and the Lord of over my life. If you are ready to receive Christ as your savior, because you recognize that you are a sinner who needs saving and you are ready to receive him as the Lord, the boss, the master, the one in charge of your life. Repeat after me. Father, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. God, I ask you to come into my life. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, that you raised him to life. And now through that and my faith, I can be raised to life with Jesus. God, I accept you now, not only as my savior, but honor you as the Lord, the master, the director of all the rest of my days. Lord, I thank you for sending your son to save me. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. And I thank you for keeping me through eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, listen, if you said it, that settles it. Because the Lord, if you said it and you believe it and you're going to live it out, that's it. Belief implies living it out. I know we don't talk about that a lot. Maybe I'll do a teaching on that. But belief implies 
back in the biblical days. It's not just that I believed it. I believed it. So that meant because I believed it, I was going to do what he said. Not just I was saying, oh, yeah, I believe that. Oh, OK, so I'm a Christian. Mm -mm. I believe it. So I'm going to do it. It's like it's kind of they attach together. They go hand in hand. You can't have belief without following. That's the whole thing. It's no belief without following. So it is by belief, but I don't truly believe if I'm not following. That's a whole other thing. But listen, if you have said this prayer, I want to welcome you. I really probably do need to do a teaching on that. Maybe I will. That's why you need to get on the email list. Go to praise at boldfaithchurch.org and let me know that you have um, accepted Christ and intend to follow him all the days of your life, that you've received him, that you've taken him, you've allowed him to take you, I guess. I don't know. You're going to follow him. Send us an email. We want to get some things in your hands so that you can begin to follow Christ. And we want you to do that in community. If you've decided that Bold Faith Community Church is your home, happy that you are here. Let us know. We love to hear it. If you love what Bold Faith Community Church is doing and you call this place your home, if you want to help us to reach people, not just in Australia, but all over the world, you want to be a part of what God is doing in and through this church, taking the gospel about Jesus, the truth about Jesus all over this world, then you can give your tithes and offering at boldfaithchurch.org. If you like this video, then friend, like this video, okay? If you love this sermon, if it spoke to you, then like it. Be sure to share it with somebody that you love. Subscribe to this channel so you don't miss out on all the great things that we have going on here. Get a part of the community. You don't want to miss. We have mornings in the word. We obviously have special nights of prayer. We have Bible study. We have um, prayer in the morning. Like we just got a lot going on and you don't want to miss it. So get connected. Now, you know, we're not done. It is time. I'm glad that you were here for church. I invite you to join us in our small group, our discussion that happens immediately following the sermon. You can click the uh, link that's been pinned in the comments. I meant to say that earlier, or you can go and click the little, go on the website, Bold Faith. Let me put that back up. Go to the website, boldfaithchurch.org, click join, and it will redirect you to uh, the Zoom where you can join us for small group discussion. All right. I love y'all. Hope to see y'all at small group because I'm going to be there. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Y'all have a blessed rest of your day. If this episode has blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else so that you too can be a blessing. If you'd like to connect with us and help us to do the work that God has called us to do, you can give at boldfaithchurch.org. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at boldfaithchurch and connect with me at Courage Molina. Thanks so much. Be sure to catch the next episode right here.